truly at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 167 of Dogcast Radio, which is an interview with Carolyn Menteith about what life with a puppy is really like. Here's a taster. Nearly every puppy owner that I meet, and it's normally about a week to ten days, mm-hmm. at some point just sits down and cries. <laughs> um, because this little thing has utterly and completely turned their life upside mm-hmm. down. But don't worry if a puppy has turned your life upside down, because Carolyn has the advice that can help you get back the right way up and enjoy that precious time with your pup. You can find this and all our other shows at our website, www.dogcastradio.com. And to get this show started, here's Buddy's Diary. Buddy's Diary. Hello, Buddy the Black Labrador here. Well, it's happened again. I've had to go to the vet to have something taken off. The last few years, this has happened at least once a year. One minute, I'll be happily sitting on the sofa with one of my people enjoying some attention. Then, as they stroke me, they'll feel something odd on my body. I can smell the worry straight away, even though they keep talking to me soothingly, telling me everything's okay as they lean over me, parting my fur and peering at whatever it is they felt. The next thing is they call other people over to look and feel at what they've found. Now, don't get me wrong... I love to be the centre of attention. So under normal circumstances, having my people gathered round me, concentrating on me, would be great. But in these circumstances, I know what's coming next. A trip to the vet. So off we go to the vet, for him to lean over me and peer at me. That bit's not so bad, but then he gets a needle out and sticks it into whichever bit of me they are worrying about this time. It hurts a bit, but I don't make a fuss because I'm a big brave dog. And also, I know that he'll give me treats once he's finished. It's annoying, but I'll do almost anything for a treat. I'm weak, what can I say? Then, life goes back to normal for a while, and I forget there was a problem of any kind. However, at some point the phone rings, and I can smell the person who answers it getting tense. I go and push my nose on them and encourage them to fuss me, which usually helps them relax. But they look at me with a sad look in their eyes, and I know there's trouble in store for me. I always know when something odd is going to happen to me at the vets, because even though my people are talking to me calmly, I can smell that they are anxious. I think they are most worried about the fact that I am always hungry at these times. They must wonder how I will survive the day with my stomach so empty and rumbling, and being hungry is horrible. Then, on top of being hungry, I get another needle stuck in me. It's odd, though, because this time I always get sleepy, and I don't remember anything for a while. I'm a very friendly chap, and it goes against my nature to sleep when there's anyone around that I could get some fuss from. But that needle at the vet's makes me feel very sleepy straight away, and even though I fight, I always drop off, and I wake up feeling really groggy. The vet and the nurses look after me, and before long, my people turn up to take me home. I always feel odd for a few hours, though. Everything smells slightly wrong and looks slightly wrong, and my legs are a little bit wobbly. My people must know that my legs wobble, because they keep a close eye on me, and come everywhere with me, even out to the toilet. This is very embarrassing, because there are some things a dog just has to do alone. But I put up with it as best I can. 
Another funny thing about the evening after I've had the sleepy needle at the vet's is that I'm always starving. Luckily, I get extra tasty food which helps make up for all the oddness. At this point, some part of me is often a bit sore, the bit that my people and the vet have peered at and felt, and I try and get away from the soreness by going outside and trying different rooms of the house, but that pesky sore feeling comes with me wherever I go. There's no escape. The next morning, I feel a bit better, and that's when I can start helping myself get rid of the soreness by giving whichever bit of me is hurting a good licking. My people can be very annoying at this point, because they tell me, no, leave, as soon as I start licking. Don't they understand that if I can just lick enough, the pain will go away? Sadly, if I keep trying to lick, they get one of those horrible cone-shaped collars, and I really do not like that. Those collars stick out so that whenever I try and walk anywhere, the collar catches and makes me bounce backwards. I have trouble getting through the doors, jumping up on the sofa, and the worst thing is that the collar gets in the way when I try and lick myself. What is the point of that, for goodness sake? After a few days, we go back to the vet, and he has another peer at me, and sometimes he gets scissors and cuts something. That makes me feel easier and more like my old self, and also that horrid collar can be taken off. Hooray! Soon I'm back to normal, and I can bounce around just how I like. My people often say... Buddy, you're 13 and you still act like a puppy. Well, why not? I feel like a puppy sometimes, except now I know where to go to the toilet and where not to go to the toilet, so I'm better than a puppy. And you know, if I can just steer clear of the vet and those pesky needles, I think I'll keep feeling like a puppy for a long time. So this is Buddy the Black Labrador saying, until next time... ever read a book and think, no, it shouldn't happen like that? Well, check out the latest innovation in romantic fiction, Macy's Choice, which puts you in charge of the plot as you make life-changing decisions on the main character's behalf. At the end of each chapter in Macy's Choice, there are always two options and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters and 128 different endings, Macy's Choice is an e-book you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. To find out more, visit macyschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Carolyn Menteith is a trainer and behaviourist who aims to help owners and dogs get the most from life. She writes and broadcasts about all aspects of pet ownership, but it was a comment on her Facebook page that inspired this interview. So, here it is. I'm talking to Carolyn Menteith. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, how are you, Carolyn? I'm, I'm good. I'm enjoying the nice frosty morning, which yes. has been great. Mm, it's very bright and uh, refreshing, shall we say, this morning, but never mind. <laughs> After all that wet and mud, it's almost a relief. Yeah. Yeah, I did think that because we have ducks, and as I walked out to the ducks this morning, I wasn't slipping and sliding everywhere. So you know, that's it. And <laughs> we'll we'll put up with cold for a bit. Um, 
Now, I want to talk to you this morning because I saw a comment of yours on Facebook uh, that someone had said, you know, my puppy is mean. Um, <laughs> and sort of, you can, although you can kind of understand that to an extent, because I know sometimes when, I get, when somebody says, you know, I've had a puppy, oh, and you say, can I come and see the puppy? And as wonderful and cute and, and cuddly as puppies are, sometimes some puppies or some puppies in the right or wrong mood I, I sit there thinking, I'd like to go home to my civilised dog now, please. <laughs> and you can kind of understand, but what, what does that, what do you think that actually means when they say to you, you know, my puppy is mean? Well, I mean, I think to start with, people get puppies with all kinds of unreasonable expectations. Mm. Uh, they kind of think that having a puppy is going to be all puppy breath and toes like beans and cuddles and licks. Um, and we have that kind of sort of expectation and it's it's like you know before you have a baby you think it's all going to be sort of baby breath and cuddles and whatever (laughs) um and you get this little creature and you kind of forget i think it's people either who have never had a dog before or people who have a fairly sort of mature sensible calm dog and they forget just what having a puppy is like um and they haven't got a clue how to fit into this new world um, everything goes in their mouth and they've got really, really sharp little bitey teeth because that's how they've played as their little mates. That's how they've socially interacted with the other important people to them. It's all been bitey. Um, and so they come in, um, they're, they're not licky and cuddly, they're bitey and manic and they're sort of like sort of velociraptors most of the time. Um, <laughs> And then the toilet training's a nightmare, mm-hmm. and then you have experts like me saying, you know, you have to keep an eye on them every single minute of every single day when they're awake. And even when they're asleep, you better keep an eye on them because they can wake up at any minute and they're going to want to wee and pee and poo. And so people are completely shell-shocked by the fact they get this creature, and it's nothing like what Lassie told them it would be. <laughs> yes. It's not cuddly, lovely, cute puppies. It's actually something that's really, really, really bitey, that chews everything, that completely turns your house upside down, that given half a chance is going to pee and poo everywhere. And they're just completely shell-shocked by this because this wasn't what people said it would be like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I call it the what-have-I-done moment. And I think, (laughs) you know, I mean, when I had um, Buddy, he was my first dog as sort of my dog. They had, we'd, we'd had dogs at home when I was younger, but he was my first responsibly, responsibility as a, as a, for a dog. Um, and I'd had him 10 days. Now, bear in mind, I'd, I was, um, I think I was about 34 when I had him. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd campaigned for a couple of years with my husband <laughs> that we could actually have a dog now. And I'd finally got this dog, and it was my dream. And, um, and I can remember after 10 days of watching him like you say in a constant vigilance and watching him and I just seemed to be walking around with a bacterial antibacterial spray in one hand and a cloth in the other (laughs) and just uptight all the time and I just remember thinking what have I done you know and I've wished this upon myself and I think that's the thing I thought it was going to be just you know wonderful and I had met you know puppies and I'd Mm -hmm. been around dogs but it was when it's you and you can't walk away from it it is a shock isn't it there's nearly every puppy owner that I meet, and it's normally about a week to 10 days, mm-hmm. at some point just sits down and cries. <laughs> um, because this little thing has utterly and completely turned their life upside mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't leave anything on the floor anymore because it's going to get chewed up. You can't walk away from it because puppies really, really need your input all the time. Um, yeah, nearly everybody I know has, has sort of almost shamefacedly admitted to me, 
I sat down and cried and I wondered if I could take it back. (laughs) Um, And I think we all kind of have that. And I think setting people, I think people have to be set up for that. I think if you know that is what's going to happen, you go into it with your eyes open. And if you are that vigilant and if you do watch them all the time and if you do get up at four o'clock in the morning to take your puppy out to have a pee or have a poo so he doesn't make a mistake if you do all of that then the puppyhood phase is going to be relatively short they're going to stop peeing and pooing everywhere fairly soon because you've taught them you know where to go and you've made it all fun for them and so they understand that um because you've made it all safe and nice to them, they do look to you to see how to behave. Um, they, you know, you, you teach them that puppy teeth actually hurt and humans are really, really sensitive things. And so the puppyhood phase doesn't last very long and you can go on with having your sort of dream dog a lot earlier. If you don't do that, then that puppyhood, that toilet training, um, all of that thing is just going to go on longer and longer and longer and that's why we end up seeing really, really young dogs being in rescue centres which is just I hate Mm. Um, you know the number of times I go to rescue centres and there'll be 12, 13 week old puppies who are there because owners don't realise quite what they're taking on yeah yeah, and that's heartbreaking for the dog but it's heartbreaking for the person because you know I always knew underneath all the, the, the stress I always knew that it was the dog that I wanted and that I had to go through the puppy bit to get mm-hmm. the dog, you know, to get that calm, trained, nice companion. But I had to put yeah. the work in, but that dog was waiting for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we have to remember when we have these tiny little squidgy puppies, it's an investment into that, that dog that we've always wanted, that canine best friend, that dog who follows you everywhere. Um, I mean, you know, it's like when you see people out with their dogs and their dog's looking at them all the time and it's just so into them. Um, you don't get that without that investment in this little bitey, chewy, pee, pooey little puppy. Mm. And actually, the thing is, if you're prepared for it, if you know that is what's coming, then you can actually enjoy puppyhood an awful lot more. You don't look at your puppy and go, like that Facebook post that you were just talking about, you don't look at that puppy and go, my puppy is mean or my puppy is aggressive because he's been biting chili because that's what a puppy is. That's what we can expect from a puppy. And as long as people know that that's normal, then they can kind of just sort of knuckle down, get on with it and just go, yeah, okay, you know, I'm, I'm investing in this puppy and I'm educating this puppy. And it's actually really, really fun if you can look on it that way but if you're kind of out there and you just have this thing that's sort of I say biting chewing eating your clothes chewing everything in sight it's really really easy to go somehow my puppy is abnormal because everybody says it's all going to be puppy breath and cuddles and legs um so I I think it's if people are realistic you can get out of puppyhood fairly unscathed and enjoy it yeah I do think, though, as well as reading advice from people like you, you know, and listening to advice from people like you, um, which is invaluable. And, will, you know, with your experience, you've seen far more than I have or than your average puppy owner has. So that's, you know, that's really, really important to do that. Do you think as well people need to be about around puppies? Because we, we have some friends who had a puppy and they'd, you know, they'd done their research about what, what breed would suit them, you know, and they'd got two children in the family and they'd, they'd sort of gone into it and they'd gone and seen a couple of breeders. And then they had the puppy, and the the wife particularly was quite nervous of dogs, mm. and she interpreted the behaviour as this is a savage beast we brought into the house. Mm-hmm. And that puppy did go. Fortunately, it went back to the breeder, and I hope went on to have you know its its forever home. But 
they just weren't prepared for you know like you say they are they bite and they chew your 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 prized possessions if you don't move them and and it is really easy to take it personally or to take it the wrong way isn't it I think it is. I think it is. And quite a lot of these people have been around puppies, but it's very, very different when you can hand them back and walk away from it. Um, mm. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's the same with, with babies. You know, it's, they're lovely and then you can give them back. It's the joy of being an auntie. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think the two bits of advice for, for potential puppy owners are, first of all, be around the adult dogs and make sure you like what they're going to grow into. Mm. But also spend time around puppies um, and kind of imagine how that's going to fit into your life because you really have to be prepared for that otherwise they won't fit into your life um, so yeah I, I almost think we should be setting up a puppy owner support group yes. um, <laughs> where yeah. you can just sort of go oh, no, I need to my shoes mm. um, you know so I, I think I think I think you're absolutely right the reality of a puppy 24-7 that you can't walk away from and you can't because you can't leave them at that age I, I think people need to be prepared for that and they don't have an off switch that's the yeah. scary thing about puppies um, they're on most of the time except when they're unconscious and as soon as they wake up they're on again Yes. Um, and of course one of the things that we do have to remember about dogs is they are active at the times generally when our human rhythms aren't um, sunrise and sunset um, that's when we're sort of like reaching for the coffee in mm-hmm. a sort of post-waking haze or when we're winding down at the end of the day. They're kind of our down and relaxing times because that's how humans have evolved. Um, dogs, however, are at their most active um, at dawn and dusk. And so our rhythms kind of aren't really in sync unless we sort of are aware that this is what's going to happen. So, you know, we have to be prepared for lots of things about puppy owning. Um, that people just aren't prepared for. They just go off to a breeder and breeders go, yes, they'll fit into your house fantastically and they'll love your children and they'll be great companions. And as I said, you then take home this velociraptor. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I know one of your passions is socialisation. And we've talked already about, you know, you don't, the, the puppy doesn't come out of a box, sort of your ideal dog, as much as that would be lovely. Um, but we need to put the work in. So what is socialisation and why is it important for when we have a puppy? Well, socialisation's kind of become sort of a bit of a, a buzzword. Everybody kind of says, you know, you should get your puppies out. No, I shouldn't, shouldn't put it that way, should I? That sounds really bad. Um, but, you know, you, you need to socialise your puppies. Um, um, but not that many people actually understand what it is. I mean, first of all, there's two parts of socialisation. Um, there's the socialisation, which is making sure your puppy is social to all the things that we want him to have a social relationship with. So that's kind of pretty much people, all kinds of people, children, you know, toddlers, children, you know, adults, whatever. Um, and then also other dogs. That's kind of what we want him to be social to. Um, and puppies have a very, very limited period where they can learn to be social, that point when the brain is learning the soft skills, the skills of sort of, you know, interaction, social situations, conflict resolution, how you deal with things, how you learn. And in most puppies, that's sort of from about three weeks to about kind of around about 14 weeks. Um, And that's kind of a fixed window. Um, 85% of those skills are learned in that window. So we need to be introducing puppies to as many different 
people, um, other dogs, as we can safely in that period so that he's going to grow up to be a really social member of society. Um, it has to be positive all the time. He has to have positive interactions with all these people and all these other dogs. Um, it has to be controlled. Um, and I'll come back to that in a minute because this is one of the things that annoys me about socialization. So I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh -huh. And then the other bit is habituation. And habituation is teaching the puppy that there's loads and loads and loads of things in life that he shouldn't be worried about. Um, nature... All animals are by nature neophobic. They're scared of new stuff. Uh, but for a newly born animal to be scared of new stuff would be counterproductive because every single thing's new. So you have this really, really crucial developmental window when anything that they meet and that's safe, they just go, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's kind of part of life and I shouldn't worry about it. And then after that period, they kind of go, whoa, that's scary. I need to avoid it. Um, uh, and that's why we see lots and lots of reactive dogs. So that means introducing your puppy to, you know, all the household sights and sounds, you know, the vacuum cleaners, the televisions, um, also things like loud noises, bangs, crashes, thing, also things like slippery floors and cars and all those things that you just want your dog in later life just to go, okay, that's fine. I met that when I was really young before my fears kicked in, before my hazard avoidances kicked in, which can be any time from seven weeks, which is scarily young, oh, to about 12 weeks, depending on the breeds and types. And if you think of the really, really reactive breeds and types, like your Jack Russells, your German Shepherds, these fears kick in really, really early. In more sort of solid types, like Labradors, like Buddy and Retrievers, um, these fears kick in a little bit later, so you've got more time to do all that. Um, so there's an awful lot you have to fit in to this really, really, really short period. Yeah, yeah um, there's a clock ticking, isn't there, definitely? There is really a clock ticking. And you can't say, oh, it doesn't matter, I'll play catch-up later, because you can't. These are developmental windows. Those developmental periods close. Uh, and once those, once that window's closed, you know, you, you have far, far less chance of being able to have a really, really, really well-balanced puppy. Um, but the thing I'm seeing at the moment, which is... Having spent the last few years going socialization, you must socialize, you must socialize, um, I'm also seeing the fallout from that because I'm seeing the results of bad socialization, um, of getting puppies out there and actually instead of teaching them that other dogs are safe, people are either teaching them that other dogs are really, really scary because they've been bounced on by so many puppies or other dogs at inappropriate socialization classes or environments um, or teaching people that again Labradors these are the ones Labradors retrievers the really really friendly dogs what they're actually teaching them is dogs are more fun than owners and so uh, you go out there and there's always some crazed Labrador that will come bouncing up to your puppy and bounce on him with some owner shouting afterwards don't worry he's friendly he's friendly <laughs> uh, and actually this dog has just been over-socialized, mm. he's realized that other dogs are far, far, far more fun than the owners are, and they're out there traumatizing all the puppies and all the other dogs out there. So, you know, we've, we've got to socialize really, really, really sensibly. Um, but, I mean, I could talk to you literally for hours about <laughs> appropriate socialization, habituation, um, and so I can do. But going back to puppies, there's a lot more work involved in rearing a puppy than just making sure they don't chew your stuff 
toilet in your house and bite you a lot. Um, there's a lot more input to make sure we get a really, really well socialized dog that we can take everywhere with us and that will be our best friend um, and won't be flying off at the end of the lead on everything they see or running off to play with everybody because we're just not as much fun. Yeah. But, I mean, particularly, because I, I, obviously I, I've had a look at your um, puppy plan site, um, and I know that um, some of the information there is very, very useful for breeders, isn't it? And yeah, absolutely. As you're talking, it strikes me that particularly if you're going for one of those breeds who may have a tendency to, more, you know, to be more reactive, mm-hmm. and their, their socialisation uh, window sort of closes maybe even before you've even got the dog, um, yeah. you really are reliant on your breeder there to have done a lot of work before you even get your puppy, aren't you? You really, really are. Um, I mean, I, we, we should be looking for this on every breed, mm-hmm. without a shadow mm-hmm. of a doubt. Um, but yes, certainly the breeds that we know of as being more reactive um, or that have more fears and phobias. So the reactive ones, we're looking at the, we're looking at the sort of vermin-killing terriers. We're looking at the guardy breeds like your German Shepherds because don't ever ever think that a German Shepherd guards because they're aggressive they don't they guard because they're fearful that's why that's why they do it Um, a German Shepherd who's flying off at strange stuff isn't going I'm going to kill it I'm going to kill it they're going oh my god there's something strange we're all going to be murdered in our bed somebody help help Mm. and they guard because they're fearful I mean can you imagine a basset hound guard dog (laughs) Um, you know they're going excuse me, there's a, oh, don't worry about it. Yes. Um, because we've not bred them to be fearful, therefore reactive and guard. So if we're, so if we're looking for anything that we need to be reactive or anything that is going to have traditionally have your fears and phobias, like your, your border collies, for mm-hmm. example. I mean, border collies, I see an awful lot of border collies for noise phobias um, mm. because they're quite reactive. So anything that can be traditionally seen as being quite reactive, um, quite... Um, responsive to stimuli then we really really need to be looking for breeders who have put in the work between three weeks and them going to their new homes to make sure they are comfortable with different sounds things that move around different noises different surfaces to walk on um, all kinds of novelty and that they've put that in at the beginning and that they are reared in the home we need to be producing, I mean, the kennel club go on about dogs that are fit for function. And in the kennel club's eyes, that is <clears throat> fit to do the d- job they were originally bred to do. But the reality is that most of the nine and a half million dogs in this country, their function is going to be as a family pet. And so we should be making sure that the breeders we get our dogs from are rearing dogs that are fit for that function. Absolutely. And that is making sure in this crucial window that they can cope with all the things that we're going to want them to do when we get them home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The most, Im- I mean, obviously you've got to have a healthy dog, but absolutely. the most important, you know, temperamental point is that they know how to live and they can live in the real world because that's where they live with us, you know, as pets. And it's, it always surprises me, sort of, things that we take for granted. For example, a hood, you know, a person with a hood pulled up. The first, one of the first times, Rusty was six months when we got him, so the window was, you know, well and truly shut on mm. that. Um, but we, and actually, he had had, 
some nice interactions before, luckily. But I can remember walking him, and there was somebody walking towards us with a hood up, mm-hmm. and Rusty is a border collie, and with this hood up, and Rusty sort of shied away and was like, oh, this is really scary. And the person just put the hood down, and you could almost see Rusty go, oh, you're a person, right, okay, got it. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. But- We're not very good at thinking like a dog. No. You know, no. our logic just goes... Oh, it's Mr. Jones with his hood up or Mr. Jones with his hat on or whatever Uh it is. Our dogs don't think like that. Um, First of all, they look at outlines. They don't look at details first. So suddenly with a hood or a hat or a great big inflatable jacket, Mr. Jones from next door becomes a monster. Um, And we just don't think about that. Uh Um, And we don't think about that when we're socializing and habituating puppies either. Uh, you need to you need to think about all of these different things because things look really really different to a dog. Yeah. A number of times people I'll, I'll see um, I went and saw a 12 week old puppy not that long ago and they were having huge problems because the puppy had never walked on a slippery floor or on grass. The breeder had actually reared the puppy quite nicely, mm. but all the time they'd just been on carpet. They'd never been on any other surface, mm. and this puppy was fairly convinced that he could not walk on grass and he couldn't work, walk oh, on, on any other surface because he'd never had that experience. And yeah. suddenly this was just a real worry for this puppy. Mm. Uh, we don't, we're not very good at thinking like a dog. Um, somehow we sort of assume that dogs are going to think like us, which is really strange because we're meant to be the clever ones apparently. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you have to say, you know, I have huge admiration for dogs because... In, in the, in, for the majority of them, they do, you know, cope and with, with not as much support as we could give them. They do adapt to sort of what we need them to do. But you do need to put the work in. Um, Dogs I, are absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. fact that they can adapt to living with us and that they're prepared to adapt to mm-hmm. living with us. That's why our relationship has been so successful um, over the millions of years that we've had dogs. I mean, that's, that's why we have that really close bond because dogs are kind of pretty much willing to come in, understand what our strange, bizarre behaviors actually mean and fit in with that. Uh, but we really, really need to help them because actually now we expect far more from them than we ever oh. have before. Being a companion dog is the hardest job we ever ask a dog to do yeah. because there's so much we want from them now, more than ever. Uh, we want them not to chew things that are lying around. We want them not to chase children or knock over granny or eat the cat or take the fingers from the postman and you know, to come everywhere with us no matter how crazy when we want them to, but then to stay at home for hours and end when we don't, um, to be happy with fireworks and thunderstorms. and I mean, all these things, we ask so much from them and quite often we don't educate them. Mm. You know, we, we educate our children, we send them off to schools and we socialize and habituate them, um, but we have to think about doing that with our dogs, which are a completely different species if we want them to fit in to our life and for that little squidgy puppy to turn into that dream dog we have to educate them we have to put that work in otherwise they're kind of guessing and that's not fair on a dog no you know if if we make them guess sometimes they are going to get it wrong and we don't have much tolerance for that which is really strange yeah yeah now there's obviously a lot to this but there is support out there isn't there and i know your thepuppyplan.com website has a lot of resources for people doesn't it yeah, we do. I mean, the puppy plan is something, it was a scheme that I came up with, oh, a pretty long time ago. I mean, it's probably five or six years ago now. Um, and I took it to the Kennel Club and to Dogs Trust and sort of said, right, you know, if we want to seriously affect 
the behaviour of the next generation of dogs and hopefully all the dogs to come afterwards, we actually have to be looking at puppyhood. We have to be looking at birth to 16 weeks because this is a period where we can really influence the behaviour of future dogs. Um, and they kind of went, yeah, that's fantastic, write it. And I thought, oh gosh, that was biting off a bit more than I thought I was going to here. <laughs> so I wrote the puppy plan and the idea of the puppy plan is it's a 16-week programme. The breeders or whoever has care of puppies pre-eight weeks do the first eight weeks and then the new owners do the second eight weeks and it's weekly tasks it's things that you have to do at specific points of the dog's development to make sure that we have a well-adjusted behaviorally well-adjusted dog at the end of it um, and so that was launched by Dogs Trust and the Kennel Club probably first time um, about three years ago then we took on feedback that we'd had and sort of revamped it and it's also currently going through another revamp um, to now turn it into exactly what we want it to be. Um, but yeah, that is available for breeders, for new owners, to give them say, weekly, easy, simple tasks that anyone can do that aren't particularly times, um, you know, the commitment time commitment isn't much um, to try and have a well-behaved, well-balanced dog. Uh, but there's lots of advice out there. There's lots of help out there. There's lots of fantastic puppy play groups Puppy parties been run by um, behaviorists and by trainers. Just be really, really careful at where you take your puppy to. Go and see puppy play groups, puppy socialization groups, puppy training classes long before you take your puppy there. Yes. If it ends up being, if, if there's lots of off-lead play that ends up being free-for-all where all the puppies sort of rough and tumble and play, avoid it like the plague. Oh. Um, lots of people go, oh, it's fantastic because it will exhaust him and it will teach him how to play with other dogs. These sort of rough and tumble, free-for-all um, classes actually are worse than not socializing the puppy at all because what you do is for the really sort of confident puppies it's teaching them to be kind of bullies because they can bully the less confident puppies the less confident puppies learn that there's some real bullies out there and so they have to be reactive and on their guard against other dogs and then the real sort of happy-go-lucky dogs just learn that other dogs are more fun than their owners so it's it's a complete lose-lose um off-lead play in puppy classes is useful, but in well-matched twos, maybe threes, maybe play with adult dogs who are a little bit better at teaching puppies sort of sensible social skills. Because actually, interestingly, your puppy in the course of his life isn't going to have that much chances to play with other puppies. He's going to be playing with adult dogs, and that's the skills that he needs to learn as well. So be really, really careful where you take your puppy for socialization classes. Um, so there is lots of help out there, but make sure you get it from good sources. Google is a great tool, but once you start Googling how to rear your puppy, you're going to probably get one piece of sensible advice to 10 pieces of absolutely crazy advice. Um, so in the same way as that you should never, when you're ill, you should never go and Google your symptoms because you're going to find out that you're dying and you've probably got about three days to live. Yep. No matter what your symptoms are, it could just be I've got a blocked up nose, but sorry, no, you're at death's door. Um, that's the problem with diagnosis by Google. Um, working out how to rear your puppy from Google is exactly the same. There are some crazy people out there. Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> really a... crazy people out there. Yeah. 
I, I found going to a puppy class very useful. As you say, go and, go and see the, the class first. And I, I have to say, the, the one that we went to, I just decided not to go anymore. He was, um, he was an ex-police um, handler. Um, and I'm sure he'd, he'd been a marvellous police dog handler. But I turned up with my little Labrador puppy, and he was saying things like... Um, you know, if, if the dog wants, wants to come out of the crate before you're ready, slam the door in his face. And I'm thinking, I don't really want to do that with my little, you know, Labrador no. puppy. I don't think I'd want to do it with any breed of dog. But no. um, it just wasn't the right fit for us at all. So Thankfully, we we've come an awfully long way yes. since that kind of training was the norm. And it was. Oh, um, yeah. Well, this is know, 13 years ago, so... Well, I mean, we had... I mean, for those people who are old enough to remember, I mean, we had the, the, the incredible Barbara Woodhouse um, back in the 70s. <laughs> yes, and yeah. While, while I kind of sort of parodied Barbara a lot, you know, tweed skirts, sensible shoes, pendulous bosoms and shouting yes. a lot, um, <laughs> you know, but Barbara was really useful because she took us from dogs who lived outside all the time to dogs that did come and live in the house, and she did kind of say, you know, you can train your dog. Uh, and, mm. and she was the first person to kind of say that uh, but she was kind of a little bit scary she was mm. you know choke chains wrestle them to the floor mr brown um i don't tolerate all that nonsense mm. um but then we used to do that with children as well so you know yeah. we used to cane them in schools and, and, yeah. and do all kinds of things to children thankfully we've learned more so we can do better uh we the, the, way we, we, the way we should be looking to train our dogs now is set up situations where they can succeed and reward them when they get it right. And that's how we should be educating our dogs. It's how we should be educating our children. It's how we should be educating everybody. Set them up so that they're going to succeed, reward them for doing it, and then that's what they're more likely to do in the future, as opposed to having lots and lots of things that they can't do and shouldn't do. Dogs are not looking to take over the world. Um, they're not looking to be evil and mean and to dominate. That's a very, very old-fashioned way of looking at things. Mm. Dogs don't know what we want them to do. And rather than telling them all these things that they shouldn't do, we should be educating them to the things that they should do. Uh, if we do that, then we're going to have dogs who are going to want to please us because that's what they want to do, because they know that's how to succeed. They know that that's how the relationship works. They know that's how what we want um, and that's how we should be educating our puppies. So, yeah, find a good puppy class that is doing that, so setting dogs up to succeed and then rewarding them for doing that. And then not only that, not only you're educating your puppy well, then you also have a support network um, with the other puppy owners and with a really, really good behaviorist or trainer who is going to be able to give you good advice. And that's, that's what we need when we've got puppies. Those days when you want to sit down and cry and go, what have I done by bringing home this, this monster? Um, you have a support network there. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And don't worry, your puppy's not mean, he's just normal. Well, exactly, exactly. They do bite. Um, you know, they do put things in their mouth. Um, and sometimes they bite relentlessly depending on your breed or type some of them are very 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 bitey indeed and it hurts um, mm. but we have to educate them that that's not appropriate way to interact with humans we don't punish them for doing it because that's been fine for them up until now that's how their litter mates have played with them that's how their mothers played with them that's how they've explored all the things in their environment up until now because they don't have any other social skills because they've never learned that we have to teach them the social skills that we want not punish them for doing what's worked for them up until now we just have to teach them as a different way mm -hmm. 
Mm. So for anybody that's listening, with they're having this problem at the moment, their dog is biting them, mm-hmm. how yes. do they cope with that? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways of coping. First of all, reassure yourself this is normal. This is normal puppy behavior. Um, for the majority of puppies, we can teach them not to bite us by doing exactly the same thing as their mother would or their litter mates would if they bit a bit too hard, which is you play with them. If they bite a little bit too hard, you squeak a little bit and sort of go, ow, that hurts, and just withdraw your attention from them for about 30 seconds to a minute just to kind of say, if you're going to do that, then that hurt, and I'm going to stop playing with you because that's what they want. They want mm-hmm. to interact with us. Um, that's what they want to do. Um, so, sorry, the game stops if you use your teeth because actually that is not fun for me anymore. That hurts. And for the majority of puppies, that's going to kind of work as long as everybody in the family is consistent with that. Um, teenage children and men, they're the difficult one because they have got slightly higher tolerance to being chewed by puppies and they think it's fun for a bit longer than for most mm. of us. Um, and so, you know, you, you've got to kind of make sure that everybody in the family plays by the same rules. And for the majority of puppies, that will kind of work. For some puppies, it won't. Because for some puppies, um, their mothers maybe have not been that worried by biting us. Staffordshire Bull Terriers and Bull Breeds are kind of high on this. Um, They've got quite high pain thresholds. um, And so their mothers don't kind of go, ow, that hurts, don't play like that. And their litter mates don't go, ow, that hurts, don't play like that, at the same level as some of the more sensitive breeds do. So sometimes they are just a little bit more bitey. And sometimes by you squeaking and go, ow, that hurts, they'll kind of go, oh, you didn't mean that really. And they'll just keep coming back at you and bite a little bit more because they've never, they've never had those kind of interactions. And for them, sometimes you have to be a little bit more, no, really, really, that does hurt and I'm going to remove myself from you a little bit more. And sometimes for these breeds, putting a house line on them so that you can just move them away or you can distract them a little bit better or you can put a toy in their mouth and say, you know, I know you've been biting up until now, but trust me, if you're going to be biting, you're going to do it on this plastic toy or whatever. Um, You're not going to play with me. And you have to be a little bit more, um, you have to be a little bit stronger with that, but not punish them. That's one of the things I hear a lot. You know, I did what all the books said, you know, I squeaked, I said, don't do it, and they didn't stop, so I hit them, or I did whatever, whatever. Mm. And all you're doing then is you're just actually creating more of a problem. Um, So you have to then substitute something else in your puppy's mouth that they can chew. Um, There's lots of ways that we can do it. We just have to teach them that, Playing with humans don't get toothy. Um, we're, we're real sensitive creatures, really, and we don't. We really don't like that. Yeah, yeah. We have to be careful with some of these breeds not to, to let them get frustrated. Um, with some of them, if we go, you know, I'm not going to play with you, I'm going to go away, they just come back at you because there's a bit of frustration about it. So we've got to be very good at going, you don't bite us, but you can bite this thing. This thing's nice to bite, this plastic toy or whatever. Mm. We have to be sensitive to our puppies. We have to be aware that all puppies are different and we always have to try and... 
that's one of the joy of dogs. They are all different. We educate yeah. them all differently. There isn't a blanket. You do this, and if this doesn't work, I mean, that's one of the things that I hear a lot. My puppy's mean because I did what the book said, and it doesn't work. Well, guess what? The puppies haven't read the book. <laughs> yes. um, and again, we're the intelligent ones. Think of, think of what our puppies are trying to get out of it. It's normally play. It's mm-hmm. normally interaction, but we just have to teach them appropriate ways to do that with humans. Yeah. Yeah. I always think every dog takes you on a different adventure, but sometimes the difficult bit is being brave enough to go on that adventure, isn't it? That's not the adventure you signed up for this time. Yeah, exactly. As I said, the dogs haven't read the books uh, and we have to be fairly relaxed about it. We have to all the time get out of our heads. He's being mean. He's being aggressive. He's trying to dominate me. That's the one I hear so much. And it Mm -hmm. drives me insane. He's trying to dominate me. No, he's not. Trust me. He's playing with the rules that so far have worked for him. And he's trying to work out how to fit into this life. And he doesn't know how to do it. Um, You have to go on that adventure with him and teach him the best way to do it and stop thinking he's trying to be aggressive. He's, He's trying to be mean. He's trying to take over the world. He's not. Mm. He's just a puppy. He's yeah. a baby. Yeah. I think that lesson about sort of, you know, don't take it personally works for your whole dog's life because there's always going to be something that you have, you know, you, know, you, you have difficulties getting your dog to understand it. You know, and I always try to step back and go, okay, this is not the dog's fault. This is my fault. I have to look at this a different way. I have to find a different tool for us. A clicker was, you know, almost a magic wand. It was brilliant. Yep. But it's, don't take it personally. He's not deliberately going, no, I'm not going to understand. I think one of the things that we always have to remember is that every single behavior that our dogs do is a symptom of an emotion. It's a symptom of the way that they are feeling. Um, And so all the behaviors that we don't want, that we think, you know, I I, I really don't want my dog to do that behavior. Rather than thinking, how do I stop him doing that behavior? We have to think, how is he feeling? Because if I know how he's feeling, then I've got a much better idea as to why he's doing that behavior. The majority of behaviors that dogs show comes from either fear or frustration. Um, Fear of strange dogs, fear of strange situations, fear of strange people, fear of strange environments, um, or frustration because I want to get at something, I want to do something, I've got so much energy that I'm not getting a chance to use up, or my brain's frustrated. We have to think about what are the fears or the frustrations that are driving this behavior, and how can I how can I make them feel better in this situation? Because you can't change any behavior without changing the emotion that drives that behavior. So how can I make my dog feel better so he behaves better? Um, that's, that's the trick of a behaviorist. That's all the work that we do as behaviorists. How do we make them feel better so that they can behave better? Um, although, you know, sometimes that's a lot harder than it, than it sounds. But we have to deal with the emotion. Just go, how, not, not just go, how do I stop him doing that? Um, because when we do that, that, then all we're doing is we're being reactive and we're going back down the the punishment, the, the the being really sort of you know punitive about things, rather than go okay, how do I make him feel better in this situation so that he can behave better? Yeah, yeah. I do think once you start understanding your dog and you can read his body language a bit and you know what the the position you know the body language means, um, it opens a whole new world for you. Um, And to me, that was fascinating. And I just wanted to learn more and more and more. Um, Where can people learn more online, you know, from you, having heard you talk this morning, you know, that that it's been great. Where can people find out more, you know, about you and sort of the what you recommend? 
Um, my own web- website, which is currently being revamped, um, is dogtalk.co.uk. Hopefully that will relaunch in April, newer, shinier, better, with a lot more up-to-date stuff. Um, I have written a few books. Um, I do lots and lots of seminars. Watch out for me doing seminars. I will have those advertised on my website, but they always tend to come up um, on various places. Um, and I advertise on my Facebook page um, and things like that. Um, so, um, But also... When people say, I want to learn more about dogs and I want to learn more about what you do, uh, I can talk for ages about it. I can quite happily lecture to people for days and I can do workshops for days, but actually the very, very best teacher is your own dog. Um, watch your own dog. Try and see the emotions that drive their behaviors. Watch other people's dogs. Watch body language. There's lots of good books on canine body language. Um, educate yourself, but actually watch your own dog. Always remember that while I can spout off for hours, as you're all finding out right now, um, <laughs> dogs are our best teachers. We learn from every single dog that we interact with. Mm. Uh, so the day we the day we stop learning from our dogs is the day that we should probably get a cat. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which are much harder to learn from. <laughs> oh, good grief! Yes, um, yeah. If you uh, uh, there's that great joke that you know. God put dogs on the, on the planet to make people feel that they were gods, and then they put cats on the planet to make sure they knew that they weren't. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, and cats are far, far, far more, far more emotionally reserved, and so they're a lot harder to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love. We have three cats. So I love them, but they are a completely different species. They're, you know, they're just. And- <laughs> They are. I mean, we sometimes we read dogs an awful lot better because we are a social species, mm. um, and so are dogs. Dogs are social. They're not pack-driven, as everybody keeps ranting on about pack theory, um, but they are social. You know, mm. they interact with each other. They have social groups. Um, so we kind of, we, we get that an awful lot more. Cats aren't particularly social at all. Um, they're much, much, much more solitary. Uh, they have more problems with interactions between unrelated um, cats. And so, and also cats are very, very good at hiding their emotions. When I said about dogs earlier, you can change any behavior if you can change the emotion that drives it. Cats are much harder to read emotionally. Um, I mean, for example, if a cat's in pain, um, it's much harder to see than in a dog because for them, evolutionary, showing that they were in pain and therefore weaker and less able to defend themselves is a really, really bad strategy. Um, And so it's a lot harder for us to read cats. Um, As a behaviorist, there are a lot... I mean, there are some fantastic cat behaviorists that don't assume that because somebody is a really, really great with dogs that they're going to be really great with cats because this is a completely different species. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I can feel a whole new podcast coming on now, Cat Cast. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, because they are, they are so different and they're incredibly fascinating. And one of the things that people don't do enough with their cats is um, environmental enrichment especially with cats who are more indoor cats. We take cats into our houses. We, I mean, these are top-of-the-tree predators. Um, and we kind of go, right, we don't want to murder the small animal and bird population, which is fine, um, but we have to give them another outlet for those predatory behaviors, which means that we have to give them masses and masses of environmental enrichment, and people don't do that. I think most cats are living lives of quiet desperation because they don't get an outlet for all their hardwired behaviors, but that is a completely different podcast. <laughs> 
Yes, we'll have to set up another interview for that. <laughs> love to. I would love right. to. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll talk to Mr. Dogcast and see if he fancies being Mr. Catcast as well. <laughs> well, yes, and and also, I mean, a very very quick aside. Mm. Any animal that we confine and want to live with, we have to make sure they give them a, we give them an outlet for those hardwired behaviours. Oh. Apparently, rabbits are now probably the most abused animals in this country oh. because we take rabbits which are a very social species keep them in the hutches on their own and give them no outlet for oh. what they need their hardwired behaviors oh. um we need to give that to our dogs we need to give it to our cats we need to give it to our rabbits um, oh. anyway that's a that's a completely different rant of mine <laughs> <laughs> you've given us lots to think about today thanks ever so much carolyn the joy is always Great advice as ever from Carolyn there. And how inclusive was that? Not just dogs, but cats and rabbits too. We have the links to dogtalk.co.uk and to thepuppyplan.com on the Dogcast Radio site, where you can find out more about Carolyn and reap the benefits of her advice. While human body temperature is on average around 37 degrees Celsius, that's around 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, a dog's is around 38 to 39 degrees Celsius, which is around 101 to 102.5 degrees Fahrenheit. An American pit bull stuck in a police kennel in the UK may be going to America thanks to an offer of help from a pit bull rescue centre. Stella was seized by Devon and Cornwall police in 2014 and has since remained in a cage as she was deemed too dangerous to walk due to her aggressive behaviour. A campaign about Stella's plight has gained momentum with over 20,000 people signing petitions but now Animals Our Family, which is based in Connecticut in the US, has offered to pay for Stella to fly out to them. Thankfully, breed-specific legislation is banned in Connecticut. Accordingly, Stella's owner, Anthony Hasty, has launched a late appeal against the destruction order against Stella, and she will remain in kennels until the outcome of the appeal is known, and ideally, Anthony would like Stella returned to him. A joint statement from Devon and Cornwall Police pointed out that in the last year, they have seized in the region of a 100 dogs, and only Stella has been assessed as too dangerous and unpredictable for kennel staff to walk. Fingers crossed for a happy outcome for Stella. If you'd like to help rescue dogs, but you don't think just one person can make a real difference, think again and be inspired by Tegan Rind of Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, who was very sad to hear about a local stray dog who had been taken in by CC Rescue's Regina after having been shot with an arrow and needed help with his medical bills. Tegan and her family have two rescue dogs, have also fostered rescue dogs, and Tegan was determined to help the stray dog, whom rescuers named Arrow. Tegan's mother, Bree, had recently taught her to sew, and Tegan decided to use her new skill in making bookmarks, which she sold to raise money for Arrow. Impressively, Tegan managed to raise $1,000 with her bookmarks, and Arrow is now recuperating in a foster home, awaiting her forever home. Now, what do you think of a retirement home for older dogs? Well, in Japan, a pet company has opened a nursing home for elderly dogs, providing round-the-clock veterinary care, a specialist gym and a swimming pool. Initially able to provide 20 dogs with full-time care, the retirement home will help owners who are struggling with the demands of their senior dogs. Not only will there be a vet on call, but there will be a groomer available and owners are able to stay with their dogs too. Aging dogs are a growing problem in Japan and new laws were passed last year making it a legal obligation for owners to take care of their pets until their death. 
People and pets are living longer these days, and dogs suffer from canine versions of all sorts of human ailments, from Alzheimer's to bone and joint diseases, digestive problems, and failing eyesight. Adding to the pressure of caring for aging dogs, Japan has more registered pets than children, some 20 million in comparison to the 16 million children under 15. So perhaps this first canine retirement home won't be the last. Have you ever visited a shelter and wanted to take home every dog in the place? Well, Danielle Eden had exactly that feeling when she went to a shelter in Israel in January this year. And despite already being the co-founder of Dog Tales Rescue Sanctuary in King, Ontario, Canada, Danielle and her husband, Rob Scheinberg, decided to buy the shelter. They were appalled that there were 250 dogs crowded into the shelter, which ideally could have housed 70. On top of that, the dogs were being fed loaves of bread, for which they were having to compete with rats, and the dogs, most of whom were long-term residents, were fearful. Since taking on the shelter, Danielle and Rob have arranged for 90 of the dogs to move to more adequate shelters within Israel. 25 have travelled to their Canadian shelter, and life for the 150 who remain in the original shelter is being made much more comfortable and happy. I hope life is comfortable and happy for you too. Until next time... Look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word. Dog Cast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way, we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What is it called when a cat wins a dog trophy? A cat has trophy. <laughs>